Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain, where each episode we'll sit down with entrepreneurs, investors, and industry veterans to discuss innovation, technology, and the most exciting opportunities in trucking and logistics as we build the future of supply chain together. Be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Now, let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar. Joining me today is David Wark, GM of Global Supply Chain at Microsoft. Welcome, David. Thanks, Santosh, and thanks very much for inviting me here today. I'm super excited to, to talk a little bit about supply chain. It's great to have you. It's great to have you. And you know, for, for our listeners, our audience base is quite familiar with Microsoft. It's a known name, but they might be less familiar with the supply chain organization that you run. would love to kind of get a sense for the shape and size and just kind of overall brass tacks as to supply chain at Microsoft. No, it's a great question, Santosh. And, and, you know, again, I think, you know, we are a household brand. Everybody knows about our software, but I'm not sure that people really think of us as a supply chain company as well. And, you know, when I started off, you know, over 20 years ago, we were really just building big box software. So if you all remember those big packages of Windows and Office used to get with a lot of manuals and a lot of disks in them. We've grown dramatically in the, in the hardware space. And so our supply chain today, you know, we'll ship tens of millions of Microsoft products into 122 countries around the world. We are, we're a decentralized supply chain. Everything is outsourced, which means that we have a, a workforce, which is very global. And we have a supply chain that is very global as well. We are a little bit different. You know, when I think about traditional supply chains, we pretty much match that perfect flower diagram, new product introduction, manufacturing, logistics, aftermarket care. But, you know, we serve a multitude of channels. So I, I ship product to enterprise, to big companies. I ship to big box retail like Best Buy and Carrefour and Harvey Norman. And then we also have our Microsoft online direct the consumer channels. So I'm shipping to the end customer as well. So it's a pretty complex environment that we live in. And I get to, to experience all of the different aspects of supply chain shipping high value products to that wide variety of a customer base. And you know, what's the David Work story? Like, How did you get into this role running Microsoft supply chain and just the world of supply chain in general? I guess I was just that unlucky, Santosh. Um, <laughs> I would love to tell you that it was a it was a planned direction. I mean, when I started out, supply chain didn't exist as an entity. It, it was, you know, I, I was I'm a manufacturing engineer by qualification. I'm also a chartered engineer, and so my my first internship was actually with Coca Cola. I was working for one of the bottling companies. I'm from Belfast in in Northern Ireland, and so they had a bottling plant in Belfast. My first project was changeover downtime on the high volume bottling line. And just to date myself, it was the introduction of the 500 milliliter PET bottle. And so changing from Coca-Cola to Sprite or to Fanta was causing a huge amount of downtime in production. So my first project as, as that very learned intern was to figure out what, what was going on in that changeover process and, and help you know, reduce that amount of downtime on the line. 
I guess that was my first real understanding of even though I was studying manufacturing engineering, it was the fact that you were building something, you were putting something, creating something together to then have it distributed and watching the, the you know the pallets fill the lorries and the trucks and go out there and then actually present that into retail. I think that was probably my first inkling of this is interesting. There's so many problems to solve. It's exciting. I then took a slightly different turn and I, I did a, an internship with a very small mechanical electrical services company, again, based out of Belfast. This little company was called Rotary International. My internship was around introducing computer design. And, you know, they were moving away from the traditional drawing boards, getting into this digital design world. And so that was my first understanding of the importance of technology and how it could be applied in an archaic industry. But this little Belfast company, when I graduated a year later, they just won the contract for the electrical and mechanical fit out for the new Hong Kong airport. So for those of you who've been around for a while, you'll know that used to be flying into Hong Kong was one of the most exciting journeys in the world. You were flying in between apartment buildings and landing in that, that superb runway that stretched out into Victoria Harbour. As part of the, the British investment at the time, they were building a new infrastructure to support Hong Kong, which meant they built an island and then built an airport on top of the island. And so I was sent out there as a project engineer, having just graduated to work on that airport project. And so, you know, as I was 21 or 22 at the time, fantastic to be in Hong Kong. This was 1995, 1997. So it was really the, the party capital of the world as, as it was, you know, the end of the British uh, Empire and the hand over to China. But the, the project itself is the biggest construction job in the world at the time. And the, the sheer scale of building an island and then building an airport on top of it was just, it was gargantuan. It was very difficult to even grasp the scale of, of what was going on. And it was part of a huge infrastructure project, you know, throughout all of Hong Kong at the time. So as a project engineer, I, I was kind of everything to everybody. I was involved in logistics. I was involved in moving big equipment. I was doing factory testing. Every part of every part of that job, I was I just managed to find a different role for myself in. And it was incredibly exciting not only to be living in Hong Kong, but also to be part of that massive project. But international construction is it's pretty hard. You know, it's it's a very it's a harsh lifestyle. You spend a lot of time on site. It's very hot and humid. And you were working, you know, 12 weeks on, two weeks off. It was, it was a very physically demanding role, but incredibly exciting. I just didn't know if construction was a thing for me. And so I decided to, to try something else. I was, you know, I was saying, hey, I'll do two years of something and then I'll figure out what to do next and do another two years. And that was my grand plan back in those days. I went there and worked for Anderson Consulting, now known as Accenture, based out of the Dublin office back in Ireland. And, and Anderson Consulting is an incredible company, just in terms of teaching you structures and understanding frameworks and how to pull things together from a project perspective, it was really invaluable. And I got to spend time on a lot of different projects and really help understand how to put together that as-is view, the to-be view, and then the path of how do you get from one to the other. And that eventually led me through to 1999 to Microsoft, 
where I'd worked on helping Microsoft figure out some supply chain challenges around insourcing to outsourcing and then decided to stay with Microsoft. Again, my plan was for two years and that was 22 years ago. So my plan went a little bit astray, but I found Microsoft to be an incredibly fascinating company on a huge growth surge, which continues to today. And, and I've been involved since Microsoft put together what they call the supply chain organization. I've been part of that ever since. I've got, you know, I've had different regional and global responsibilities coming through to today where, you know, I, I basically run that, what we call the downstream supply chain from the back door of the factory through to the customer and even sometimes back again when we have challenges with products. And I get to, to I get to, to work with retailers around the world, with commercial organizations around the world, and get to help the Microsoft stores team think about that delivery to the end customer on how to create that you know magical experience every time that we ship a product. So I, I guess in a nutshell, that's my that's my journey and that's where I am today. Today as as we look at your charge and, and your responsibility what, what all is it that falls under your, your purview at Microsoft? So I, I manage the order to cash cycle. So everything from order management to forecasting through to actually giving that, if you like, supportability signal through to manufacturing. And then the fulfillment and logistics of picking up that product from source and then delivering it to the numerous locations around the world. And this year we'll have, you know, 1.3 million unique ship to locations that we have to get to. I then also look after software manufacturing. So we still actually do build some software and we make Xbox discs. And so I look after that part of the the supply chain end to end. And then I spend a lot of time on strategy and forward thinking and how to integrate technology into what we do every single day. So I kind of think of myself as I look after the different channels. You know, I work with customers, but I also work with our internal sales and marketing teams. And I'm ultimately responsible for making sure the right product gets to the right place at the right time. And, you know, I, I have to ask here, would you be able to give us a glimpse into the logistics behind the Xbox? <laughs> <laughs> That's a question that I get asked numerous times a day. It is so amazing to, to, to be able to have a product that is in such demand. I have the, I have the history of being part of every Xbox launch ever, right back uh, to 2001 when we were designing the supply chain initially to support the Xbox product. It, it, is, it is fascinating in terms of, you know, you've got a, a product that is, you know, in such high demand, it's very, you know, it's quite a seasonal product, but there's a huge infrastructure behind it. I, I can't share a lot, but I can tell you that we are doing everything that we can constantly to make sure that consoles are in the market, that controllers and accessories are in the market for our customers. And it is just fabulous. You know, the supply chain problem that you always want to have is that when demand um, exceeds supply, it's such a beautiful problem to have. It makes it a little bit complex, but it is wonderful whenever we're able to deliver. And, you know, we've been doing, we, we've been having a lot of fun with it. I've spent a lot of time and energy really driving some good improvements in the supply chain to make sure we get that product to our customers. And kind of with that, I, I'd love to kind of transition into a few topics related to supply chain technology, if I may. And the the first one is just this concept of visibility broadly 
And for me, it feels like it's a perennial problem. Like when, when I first started getting into this industry, there was an executive that told me when he entered in the 80s, they were talking about visibility. And today still at conferences and on podcasts, you talk about visibility. And I'd be curious, kind of what's your take? Where are we today? Where do we need to go in order to solve this problem? Uh, it's, it's a great question. I mean, like you, I, I've, been, I've been in the industry for a while and it's, it's always been that hot topic at the different conferences and seminars. Everybody wants to, to preach about it and say that it's the next big thing. We've, we've taken a slightly interesting approach and we've made some partnerships and we've created some interesting tools which actually give us end-to-end visibility of our supply chain, both forward and reverse. It's beautiful. You know, it's a, it's a huge um, map that, that actually is alive. You know, you put it on an 84-inch surface hub and you get to touch it and you can see where all your shipments are at a point in time, ingesting third-party data to give you shipping information and weather data. When we put it all together, and it took us a couple of years, the first thing that struck me was, what does this do? Because everybody's been so, if you like, excited about getting visibility. When we actually put it all together, we said, this is fantastic. We've now got end-to-end visibility. Now, what does it do? What, what do we do with it? And so we've been spending a lot of time really thinking about visibility is kind of like the entry-level discussion. It is once you have visibility, to get that visibility, you need to be able to ingest a lot of data. How do you pull intelligence from that data? And so the the real challenge of visibility isn't now getting it because there's lots of companies out there now who will actually, you know, give you a visibility solution. The real challenge then becomes, but when you have visibility, what does it enable? And so there's some simple things, you know, in the first place, if you understand what's late and you understand what's on time and you understand what's early, you kind of know where your team should focus in terms of being able to move the dial and and make a better impact for your customers. But then as you start to look at the data behind the visibility, it becomes interesting because then you're able to look at it and say, okay, now I can really see that that I've got a potential to think about route optimization. Now I can really start to understand how things move in my network and I can see that real time. But it becomes even more interesting because with that data and with the ability to layer on top even more third-party information, you can start to think that, okay, maybe I can, t- I can turn events into supply chain events. Things like weather in particular are, are super fascinating. If you think about, you know, even the last week here in the U.S. where there's been this immense winter storm, which has pretty much affected, you know, the majority of states, what were we able to do with that? Well, by overlaying the, the weather data, we were able to understand what deliveries were going to be impacted and in turn then make decisions as to how we might pull or push certain uh, deliveries to customers and then inform the customer because whether you're late or early is interesting, but it's irrelevant unless you actually are sharing that information with the customer to allow them to plan and adapt accordingly. And so having that data and being able to do that gives us a different perspective on supply chain because we think about it as Rather than being a manual effort, how about the supply chain actually becomes a living, breathing, thinking entity 
which is able to understand things like weather, weather patterns as supply chain disruptions and supply chain events. And then you can program it to do something when it sees it, dynamically reroute inventory, email a customer. And so I think that visibility has been, the way that we talk about visibility and the way that we think about visibility is changing rapidly. And the conversations that we had 10 years ago about will we ever get end-to-end visibility, that's kind of now happened. There's numerous solutions out there which are really, really good at giving you visibility, irrespective of your legacy systems or irrespective of the format of the data. But then it's what do you do with that? So when you Mm -hmm. have that visibility, what can you actually leverage that for? So, you know, you, you touched on a lot of concepts there, right? Managing by exception, having the, the data to take informed insights or, or, or make uh, informed decisions. And that oftentimes kind of lends itself to RPA. And I oftentimes say that visibility is the atomic unit that drives RPA. And it looks like, you know, from, from a lot of what we could see around kind of digital brokerage, digitization of freight forwarding, that RPA is, is where the value is. I'd be curious your, your thoughts on that. I, I think that there's definitely a, a train of thought right now, and we've been doing some work on it, which is that RPA is, is kind of perfectly designed for supply chain. A lot of manual processes, a lot of manual transactions Putting RPA in there, and we've done it on very simple cases, things like customer queries by email. We've actually implemented a series of bots which are able to scrape that email, find customer information, order number, and then auto-populate a legacy CRM solution to actually automate that entire process. And so I think that, you know, when I, when I talk to people in the industry and when I present to customers, one of the aspects that I call out is, this is not always about re-engineering from the ground up. Supply chain is a cost center. It's, it's not typically well-funded from an engineering perspective to go and remake all of the existing systems. RPA is a great opportunity to actually modernize and evolve a legacy system into something which is actually quite creative. And so we've been looking at ways of layering bots on top of existing systems to actually not just automate, but actually allow us to watch trends, allow us to watch information flow, and then do something else with it. So I I think it's more than any one particular item, whether it's digitizing brokerage or forwarding, I actually think it's a concept that can be applied across the end-to-end supply chain, where instead of actually starting from the ground up and thinking we have to re-engineer our ERP or we have to re-engineer our WMS, it's actually looking at what you have and how useful it is and how difficult it would be to re-engineer it, and then saying, well, how can I automate by leveraging RPA? Now, there is constraints. You've got to be very careful about master data. You've got to be very careful about governance around system changes because you, you can't spend your entire life reprogramming as well. Mm-hmm. But there is, but there's a there's an opportunity here which I think is golden. And the, and the golden opportunity is stop thinking that you have to redesign every part of your supply chain because you're growing or scaling. Start thinking about how much you can automate and how you can leverage technology such as bots to be able to do that. Yep. Yep. 
And kind of shifting here to the uh, third topic, autonomy. Would love to hear your take on it because I feel like opinions are are all over the board on this one. <laughs> so a- autonomy comes. So you can mean autonomous vehicles. You can mean autonomous trucks. You can. So I kind of look at it and go. The way that I think about supply chain is we've got to pull it forward. It's been a little bit too stagnant for too long. Looking at the technology that is readily applicable today, that is readily available today, I look on it and say we are one step away from this thinking, breathing, living supply chain, where the supply chain actually understands what is happening at a data level and is then able to make decisions. Based on a set of criteria that you've already given, and we use things like machine learning and artificial intelligence here because, again, if you take that simple example of customer queries via, via email, there will be times when the bot framework, for example, doesn't understand a, a missing piece of information. We kick that out to a super user. The super user corrects. The bot learns, and then never has to ask that question again. So I think that. There's certain parts of the supply chain will will become autonomous very very quickly. Others will take time. But there's another part of it here, which you know, we've been working a lot with with robotics and autonomous vehicles, even within our distribution centers, and the, it's it's really interesting whenever we talk about it because the 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 theory is people are looking at wow, you're automating your distribution center. This is fantastic. And it's kind of interesting that we're doing that, but it's that's really you know okay. We're getting twenty four seven. We don't have to worry about shift changes in the in the realm of COVID. It's you know the more people that we can you know take out of large gatherings, the better. It's all very very positive. But the really interesting point is that even when we've got a laser guided vehicle in our distribution center doing nothing else but put away, so taking the inbounds and putting it in um, to the high racks, what it's giving is a lot of data that we didn't previously track. So it's actually telling, you know, it's giving us that data of the route that it takes every day, how it's moving product, where it's moving product to, which has actually sparked a whole different conversation of, do we have to think about our DC layout in a different way? Are we continually moving the same product to the same location to then pick it the next day and move it back into a ship lane? And so I think that there's a there's there's a whole concept here, which is autonomous vehicles and autonomous supply chain is really interesting because of the level of automation and how it can streamline your processes. But the really interesting piece is it's a source of really rich data in terms of activity that with the right tools, you're going to be able to analyze and actually create even more optimization. And we're starting on this journey right now, but it's kind of like a, maybe like an accidental byproduct of actually driving that autonomy, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. It does. So, you know, we, we've touched on kind of three interesting concepts here and you, you've hinted at this, but we've talked about visibility, which is around kind of getting the the data or the telemetry out of the supply chain and then doing something with it, whether it's semi-automated or whether it's fully automated and whether that's software oriented or whether it's around like the practical movements of, of atoms and boxes in a warehouse or on the road. And this all kind of comes down to this concept or is related to this concept that you've alluded to, the cognitive supply chain. 
And you've spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I'd love for you to kind of deconstruct and unpackage it as to what our listeners need to know, what they should be mindful of as they think about the development of the cognitive supply chain. I mean, I think it's it's something that I'm particularly passionate about right now because I can start to see the different pieces coming together. And it, it starts, you know, for me, it kind of starts even at the demand signal. So we've partnered with a number of different um, startup companies who had built a special process around gathering point of sale data. And, and this doesn't sound incredibly exciting until you make it live and real. And so pulling that point of sale data on an hourly basis from your key retailers, for example, around the world, lets you understand what's selling now. It lets you understand what sell, sold yesterday, what sold last week. And as you build that data over time, it starts to allow you to think about patterns and what's actually happening. What are sales on a Saturday morning versus a Monday morning? How, does, how do promotions impact particular products on any given day? How does weather impact product sales on any given day? And so the cognitive supply chain to me is around thinking from that base level up, but don't, don't think that it's only for certain areas. We've actually started this with demand planning. And so we're pulling those signals on a daily and an hourly basis to understand by store, by skew, what's actually selling. We understand where the different patterns are, and then we can relate those to other environmental things that are happening at that particular time. And then whenever you actually start to think about the journey of the product and you know, coming from the manufacturing source, coming through the ports, getting into your distribution center, you start to then again, pull that data because you've got your visibility layer and you're, you're allowed to now optimize for that. And you're allowed to look at every single route that you're actively moving on every single day. How many times are we moving the same product along the same route to the same location, which allows you to then start to optimize your workflow and optimize your loads to say, there's a better way to do this. At the same time, you've got the information of what's going into your distribution center and what's going out of it on any given day. And what, what, what I'm trying to explain here is this is all data and being able to harness that data is one thing, but the cognitive supply chain not only harnesses it and doesn't just give you a view, it starts to understand what those patterns are because supply chain is full of patterns. We just haven't realized that so far. And so the cognitive supply chain starts to think, understand, predict, and then act. And that acting piece is becoming more and more prevalent because you've got machine learning and you've got artificial intelligence, which can start to understand actually how product is moving, how customer demand is changing, and what the impact of that is right through the supply chain. So as I think about the cognitive supply chain, I think about the supply chain that's able to understand. So if you take that point of sale, it's really interesting to understand what's selling in a store today but that's not really the point. What the software is doing is it's looking at what's selling, it's looking at what's on shelf, it's looking at what's back of house, and then it looks at the order book and what product is on its way, and then it creates a suggested order. So traditionally in retail, the buyers would sit down, they would look at the product portfolio, they would make some bets, and then they would decide to place a purchase order with the supplier. 
we've kind of reinvented that. And now the system actually looks at exactly the buying patterns and everything that's happening across all of the categories. And then is making a suggestion to the buyer to say, this is what I think you should order right now. And we've got it to a point of perfection with some of our retailers, whereby the buyers basically just sign off on that prediction. They basically look at it and say, that will give me the right amount of product on the shelf that I need because you're telling me based on all of my historical data, that's exactly how it's going to look. And then auto placing the, the purchase order. So I think about it as auto replan. Yeah. The movie business and the record business did this for years. They call it vendor managed inventory. We've just kind of modernized the concept, I think. And, and so the cognitive supply chain is that self-thinking, uh, th- self-thinking entity whereby it understands the demand signal and then it creates an auto replan order, which in turn feeds a supply um, request back to the factory. And so we can see a path now where this can all be actually automated and the supply chain can start to think about running that day-to-day business itself. And we can focus on driving volume, driving exceptions, driving sales. Yeah. Yeah. That's spot on. So, you know, the one thing that's intrigued me from prior conversations is how you and your team look to the startup ecosystem for inspiration, as well as uh, a way to inform your perspective on the future supply chain. And, you know, you, you don't necessarily like share your, your problems. You're basically looking for what are the interesting things happening. And I'd, I'd be curious, like, how did you kind of come to this approach? And how are you like more practically implementing this? Because it's a really interesting way of staying innovative and on top of trends and, and principles that could meaningfully impact your business unit? You know, we've gone through our digital transformation. Our ERP system was, we'd made so many changes to it over time that any change that we made ended up breaking about three other things. This is a conversation that you can have with any chief supply chain officer, I would say, across the industry. And so part of our digital transformation was around, let's keep our ERP as our financial system of record and let's stop changing it. And what we'll look for are cloud-based technologies, which will ultimately give us scale, which layer on top of our ERP. And that was, if you like, a strategic decision that we made. And then we started looking through our network and, you know, like any supply chain organization, we have got a fantastic group of people who all have a different set of experiences and a different set of networks. And we started asking ourselves the question of, do we build it, do we buy it, or do we go and find it? And we go through that type of analysis with any problem that we're trying to solve. But as we started getting into that way of thinking, we started finding different companies out there who had developed an incredible solution, usually around a specific niche in the industry, But it was uh, amazing. It was something that we hadn't even thought of. And so a lot of the time we are, you know, we are introduced to to new companies, but a lot of the time it's also people that we've met in the industry or people that we know who've been working on different things. And sometimes it's just a pure cold call. And when we see something or we read an article about a, a specific technology or a specific company, we tend to go and talk to them and say, hey, Tell us a little bit about what you're doing and also how you're thinking about it. We get a lot of value in terms of just having those conversations. We don't work with absolutely everybody, 
but we do listen to a lot of people and we do we are very willing to have that conversation because we don't for one second think that we've thought it all through or that we know everything but we find that when we talk to startups first of all they're excited about what they're doing they're energized by the particular space in supply chain that they're working in and they've thought through a lot of the different challenges of that space and sometimes we can help in terms of lifting them up a little bit and giving them a broader picture. But a lot of time we just listen and actually learn and say, that's a really interesting way to think about it. We had not thought about it like that. Let's go figure out if there's another problem that we can solve. And so I think that you know we spend a lot of time working in the startup community, just looking at the technologies that are out there and trying to understand how people have thought about it and what problem they're trying to solve and why they think that has to be solved. And then we just give them some of our experience. We give them some of our knowledge and our insight into what we see. But this is a massive space with so much investment right now and so many problems to solve. You mean you can't look at any journal in the morning anymore without there being some sort of a supply chain story in there. So. It's, there's never been a better time to be in supply chain, Santosh, as you well know. And so we're just excited to be able to get to work with some of these companies really driving the next generation. So, you know, to, to kind of cap this episode off, I'd be curious, like, what are you excited about? Where do you see opportunity as we think about the future of supply chain? I mean, there's so many different aspects here. I, I, I love the, the companies that we're working with on, on retail analytics and understanding that demand signal and kind of taking the mystery out of it and bringing it to a higher level of accuracy. Absolutely fantastic. The visibility side of the, the equation. Again, we work with a couple of fantastic startup companies who are really, really thinking through this concept of it's not just about visibility, it's about what you can do whenever you have that visibility. And the concept of being able to layer uh, information and data over your visibility layer is you know, quite amazing. You know, We work with a company startup called Overhaul out of Texas, who were able to actually take COVID-19 data from John Hopkins and layer it over our supply chain network. And, and we were able to then identify hotspots. We knew where we might be challenged in terms of being able to move product in or out. And it gave us a real insight into, okay, what else can we do with this? Because if you can start to think about this as not just visibility, but the fact that you've created a map and then you can layer all sorts of data on top of that, the, the possibilities start to get endless. Machine learning and artificial intelligence, we are only on the first step here. The, 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 the ability of what we will be able to do in future years is going to be phenomenal. I mean, this concept of cognitive supply chain, it, it's, it's not as dreamy as people think it is. It's actually becoming very, very real. Add in things like 5G, where you're going to have even more data and even more reach at a fast pace. Supply chain is going to be generating enormous amounts of data, which can all be harnessed, analyzed, and turned into something truly enlightening to change the way supply chain thinks and breathes. So I just get excited by all of the companies, because again, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. 15 years ago, there were no startups who were really trying to build new supply chain technology. 
now there are so many, it's amazing. I am so excited about the energy in the community and the amount of companies who are really trying to break through and find new ways of thinking about things and doing things and applying modern technology to old problems. It really is fantastic. Awesome. Well, with that, David, we, we certainly share your excitement on the opportunities present across the supply chain and really, really appreciate you having this conversation with us and hopefully can uh, catch up in, in the near future face-to-face to continue kind of what we started here in this episode. Thanks so much, Santosh. And like, again, thank you so much for inviting me along. Always great to talk about supply chain and what's coming down the line and some of the exciting things that we're working on. So thank you so much for inviting me here today. Absolutely. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.